This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Let's pray. Father, we come to you again now asking you, Lord, to, as we've just heard about uh, in Kano, Nigeria, turn the light on within our hearts, Lord, that we might see our beloved Savior, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, Micah chapter 7, verse 8, one verse. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. So here in in verse 8, in this verse, we find that the prophet Micah is facing an enemy when he says, oh, mine enemy. He's in a fight with his enemy. He's wrestling with his enemies. Whether we recognize it or not, whether we're acutely aware of it or not, it doesn't matter. Whether we wake up every day thinking about this, we have, each one of us has an eternal enemy an eternal enemy that is heading up an army against us. The Bible says in Ephesians 6.12, Ephesians 6.12, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And one day, our enemy overheard God say to our first parents, to Adam and Eve, words that were music to his ears. And our enemy heard those words 6,000 years ago, and for the last 6,000 years, our enemy has basically been singing those words to himself. He loves those words so much. They're beautiful words. He overheard them. Our enemy heard God make a promise to our first parents, and that promise has affected every single one of us, all of us, including you, including me. And that promise that God made became the basis for everything that our enemy has done for 6,000 years. There's not a day that hasn't gone by that for the last 6,000 years, our enemy has not repeated the words of this promise that God made. And he says to himself, that's the most important important promise of God for me, I'm going to work today to see that that promise of God is fulfilled. He's amassed an entire army to help him. Our enemy gets all his troops together, and when they're all assembled there, he just repeats this promise of God, because this promise of God is the whole strategy of his warfare against man. 
And the all-important promise that he sings, that he repeats, is Genesis 2.17. Genesis 2.17, where God said, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. And here's the words he loves. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That was it. Our enemy, Satan, and God spoke that promise to our first forefathers for Adam and Eve, and God made that promise, and when Satan overheard that promise, Satan says to himself, I've got it. I've got all that I need in that promise of God to make man fall. I've got all that I need to destroy man. And so Satan heard God make that promise to man, and he rejoices. And this is the whole course he's been on. These words, Genesis 2.17, thou shalt surely die. He's got his strategy. And it sets in motion everything he does. It all started back then in the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden was beautiful. The most idyllic setting you can imagine. Everything was in perfect harmony. Everything was beautiful. Every animal was in harmony with each other. There was no death. Animals were not killing animals. Yet in the midst of that beautiful place, Our enemy was there, and there was, even though before there was any violence on earth, and look at the violence we're living in right now, Ukraine, unbelievable brutality, before any of that, before there was death, and look at the death today, especially in these cities of Ukraine that we're seeing on the news. At that time, before there was violence, before there was death, our enemy was plotting and planning against us. And in the midst of that situation where Adam and Eve were in the most happy place you could imagine, they had no needs, they were not met by God at that time and at that place, they had an enemy, they had an adversary. That's what the name Satan means, adversary. And this is the promise. And so armed with this weapon, Satan has waited through the chapter two, which was where the promise was made in Genesis, through the honeymoon time, for our first parents, and then with a very skillful stealth, Satan moved in with that promise. And then came, he came in the person of a snake, of a serpent, who was described in Genesis 3.1. Genesis 3.1 says that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He's described as the more subtle. The Hebrew word for subtle there is arum. Arum has the meaning of foreseeing, seeing into the future. There's a verse in the book of Proverbs that perfectly defines the essence of that word. It's Proverbs 27, 12, Proverbs 27, 12. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hides himself. And a room man foresees the evil and he goes and hides away. The meaning of a room is to see in front of, is to look down the road to see where things are going. And with Adam, That meant that Satan, in the person of the snake, was looking down the road, and looking down the road, he engaged in a conversation. A nice sunny day, we can imagine, but yet yet Satan is laser-focused in his goal. He's going to accomplish his goal very craftily. Eve, not a clue. Eve, totally ignorant. Eve, no idea that when she heard the words of Satan in verse one of chapter three of Genesis, Genesis 3, one, and he said unto the woman, yea, 
Has God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Of every tree of the garden, he said. And the serpent knew that in order to move Eve into a point of disobedience against God, he had to get her to doubt. He had to get her to be confused about what God actually said. Satan knew that there's only one tree that was off limits. He knew that. But the serpent tried to get Eve confused by adding more to what God said, as in suggesting that God said, oh no, you can't eat of any tree of the garden. That's not what God said. And Satan's still at work with this strategy today by adding rules and regulations that are claimed to be in the Bible. For example, I know an organization where if you join that organization, you have to sign that you believe that all of the wine in the Bible was grape juice and not alcoholic and God commanded to not drink wine. I'm not promoting the use of wine, but to say that the Bible forbids the drinking of wine is not true. And it just adds confusion to what the Bible does teach. And by the way, the Bible does have warnings about the dangers of intoxication with alcohol. But adding rules and regulations to the Bible is dangerous because this undermines the simple truths of what God said when he clearly states things. And the devil uses strategy of adding to the Bible in order to plant the confusion of, the Bible says this, but it means that. And once the devil has that concept in the mind, once the devil has that in mind, then it's easy for him to move to, you can't trust what the Bible is saying literally. Then the devil has accomplished his goal of getting a person not to rely on the Bible. So the need is to reject the statement the Bible says this, but it means that. The need is to look at the Bible and to say this. If the plain sense makes good sense, don't look for any other sense. And Satan added to the word of God by saying, you shall not eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, all the trees in the garden. So with greater room, great goal direction, Satan, by adding to the word of God, he's gotten Eve to say that, no, no, no. And once Satan had it in the mind of Eve, Eve was confused about what God did say, and then God clearly just said, don't eat of one tree in the garden, in Genesis 3.17, just as crystal clear, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. But after Eve listened to Satan, add to the word of God, she added to the word of God. When she said in Genesis 3.3, Genesis 3.3, she said, God said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it. God said nothing about touching the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not a bad, no, don't get me wrong. It's not a bad idea to not touch the forbidden fruit, but God said nothing about touching it. The problem was she added a prohibition to touching the fruit. She added that to the word of God because Adding to the word of God confused Eve of what God actually said. And this led Eve right down the road to ignoring what God actually did say, which is where Satan was going with his room. It's not a bad idea to not drink wine, but God said nothing about not drinking wine. 
But the problem is adding a prohibition to drinking wine to the word of God because adding to the word of God confuses a person over what God actually did say. And this leads a person right down the road to ignoring what God said. This is his goal. Once Satan had this gold-oriented room to get Eve, to add to, be confused over what God said, then he had accomplished his purpose of causing her not to rely on what God did actually say. He got her confused. That's a very effective weapon that he uses to get people confused. And once he did that, then he had actually, Satan had actually disarmed Eve. She didn't even know it. Eve had one very effective weapon against the devil, which is an essential part of the whole protection that God has provided in Ephesians 6.13, Ephesians 6.13. The whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And that offensive weapon, the only offensive weapon in the armor is Ephesians 6.17, Ephesians 6.17, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Eve had in her hand her only effective weapon against the Satan, and that was the sword of the word of God. And once Satan got Eve to add to the word of God, she got confused, and once she was confused, you could just hear a resounding crash as that sword dropped out of her hand and she was left without the word of God. Disarmed, she was an easy prey, easy prey. And then he was able to come right up to Eve and fang her, the serpent, fanged her with the injection of the poison, God has lied to you, God hates you, God is harming you. She didn't even feel those fangs. She didn't even feel those fangs when they went in. In Genesis 3, 4, Genesis 3, 4, the serpent said unto her woman, you shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Those two verses in Genesis 3, 4, and 5 were the fatal venom that Eve was fanged with. And immediately, that fatal venom spread through Eve's soul as her sight was poisoned with Satan's venom and her desire was poisoned with Satan's venom and her taste was poisoned with Satan's venom. And so now here she is, well-fanged with Satan's venom of distrusting the word of God. Satan's venom now spread all throughout Eve and that moved her to a spiritual death with Genesis 3.6, Genesis 3.6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. So from the skill of the Arum gold-directed devil, Eve was disarmed of the word of God and she was fanged with this poisonous venom of God can't be trusted. And one word described what happened to Adam and Eve after that, and it's the word fall. Fall, the fall was into sin. The fall was into death. The fall was the fall of mankind. That fall was our fall, our personal fall. Each one of us, you, me, that was our personal fall. Set us on a course where we fell into sin and death. And when we fall into sin, we fall into a state of guilt. 
And when we're not guilty because we feel guilty, we're guilty because we are guilty. It only takes for us to commit one sin to be guilty. The Bible says in James 2.10, James 2.10, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. He's guilty of all. It just takes for us to commit one solitary lone sin for us to be guilty. That's it. And we've all committed innumerable sins, which is why we are innumerably guilty. And this guilt, it weighs heavily on the soul, which is why there's this sense of feeling tired because it's exhausting to be carrying a heavy weight of guilt. Guilt makes a person feel jumpy, where the slightest noise frightens because guilt is inescapable. Guilt demands that a price be paid. Man, under the weight of his guilt, looks for all kinds of ways to get rid of the guilt. One way is to overcompensate with good works, so many good works that somehow is gonna tip the scale and outweigh this weight, this big weight of guilt. So many good works that will just cause a person to forget all the sins he's done and just remember all the good works. But all the good works that a person could do is just not enough to tilt the scale and outweigh the weight of guilt. Good works cannot take away guilt because only a full payment can satisfy the debt of sin and take away that guilt. Guilt is a horrible consequence of the fall into sin. And with the fall into sin, there's a fall into a state of inner dirtiness, filthiness. When I was in Japan, my customers would invite me to a weekend at an onsen, a Japanese hot spring, where men go in this hot spring. And, but before you go into the hot spring, there's a very elaborate cleaning process. Cleaning, cleaning, cleaning. And you go in there. And after you go in the hot spring, it's more cleaning, cleaning, cleaning. And you come out there squeaky clean, very clean. And no matter how much a person cleans themselves and cleans themselves and cleans themselves, you can't clean the inside. You cannot clean the inside. The Bible says that inside Isaiah 64, 6, Isaiah 64, 6, we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We all fade like a leaf. Our iniquities have taken us away like the wind. And we all like to think of ourselves as clean. We like to think of ourselves as clean. We all, we all like to smell nice. We brush our teeth so we don't we smell nice. We don't have dirty mouth smell. We put on clean clothes so we look clean. We all like to smell clean, look clean. That's what we like to do. None of us like to think of ourselves as filthy, but the Bible says we are filthy unclean on the inside. Isaiah 64, 6, we are all as an unclean thing. Not only the sins of our actions have made us unclean, but our sinful thoughts have made us unclean because Jesus said in Matthew 15, 18, Matthew 15, 18, those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things that defile a man. Every time there is a wish, oh, I wish that person was dead, that's murder. Every time there is a thought of sex outside of marriage, that's adultery, that's fornication. Every lie, every thought 
that God was evil, those are all indelible filth on the soul, and only a soul cleansing can remove that filth. And soul defilement is a horrible consequence of the fall into sin. And with the fall into sin comes an inner sense of want, an empty feeling. A man feels like he's just not really complete inside. I just don't have it. I feel hungry for something, man says, but he doesn't know what it is. He thinks maybe it's money. If only I had money, then I'd feel complete. When he gets money, not satisfied. So he next moves on to buying things with the money. I need this, I need that. Always looking for that one thing that will satisfy that inner hunger, that inner thirst. He thinks maybe a relationship, maybe that woman, maybe that man, that perfect person that I can link up with. Always searching, never finding, because inner hunger and inner thirst are a horrible consequence of falling into sin. And then man feels in a state of conflict, tension. So many antidepressive drugs are given today. He feels that he's on the high alert, like in a war. Can't really let his guard down. He can't really truly relax. He feels like a soldier who never sleeps with his weapon far from him, always with his helmet and his weapon near him. About one-third of all people in the U.S. report that they have insomnia. That's the reported rate. Of the reported rate, it is growing at a rate of 6%. Insomnia is much higher than that because those figures are only for people that report that they have insomnia. I mean, think about it. One out of three people in the U.S. have reported that they have insomnia. Soldiers have insomnia because they're always at war. They never know when the next battle is going to come. The Bible teaches that sin brings a conflict to the soul and a state of no peace. Isaiah 57.20, Isaiah 57.20 says, The wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There's no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Sin makes a person to be like a troubled sea, restless, no peace. No peace is a horrible consequence of a fall into sin. Another consequence of sin is the feeling of loneliness. A person could be surrounded by a crowd of people and feel a loneliness inside. Someone could be sitting in a pew right next to you and feel a loneliness inside, surrounded. A person could be married and all the time to be with his or her spouse and yet feel lonely and always live with that fear. Maybe that spouse is gonna die. And just the thought of losing that spouse is enough to trigger a deep feeling of loneliness. People are just not able to satisfy that inner feeling of loneliness, even with a spouse. A woman might say to her husband, I feel so lonely. Her husband might say, well, what am I, chopped liver? And the lonely is not taken away because it's a special kind of loneliness. Loneliness is a horrible consequence to falling into sin. And then sin brings about this feeling of emptiness inside. Days are filled with rushing, putting out this fire, putting out that fire, going from this crisis to that crisis. No lack of things to do. No lack of responsibilities that need to be met. No lack of promises that have to be kept. But then there's finally that time to sit down and look back on life. And there's that feeling of emptiness, emptiness. 
That feeling of that, is that what it's all about, Alfie? Is that all there is to life? Just doing, doing, doing until that final call, that final 911 call, and then a memorial service? Is there nothing more? And all that thinking just amplifies the deep feeling of emptiness, a feeling of being unfulfilled in life. Some might say, I'm so busy, I don't have time to think about my emptiness, but that doesn't remove the emptiness. Emptiness is a horrible consequence of falling into sin. And sin brings about a feeling of being hurt. Life hurts. People we have put our trust in and confidence in hurt us. We've been betrayed by those who we trusted. Sometimes being betrayed has hurt so deeply that it's caused us to become hard and hurt others. And so the cycle of hurt and being hurt, divorce, God calls betrayal, treachery, hurt is a horrible consequence of falling into sin. Tom Cantor's messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. For other free resources, email us at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. Join our live services on YouTube by searching Friendship with God with Tom Cantor every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.